BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, traders. I hope that you guys are ready for another day here, of course, with Pre-Market Prep, the number one morning show. I'm excited to get into today's show. We got a great one for you. We're going to talk about the stress test, the banks raising some dividends on out there. Buffett is still liking the black oil. You guys love that black gold, man. Can't get away from it. I, I myself am looking at some oil plays too. We'll talk about Nike's earnings. We got, of course, did Hood get a deal? Deal or no deal? We'll find out about that. Uh, Playtica, also potential acquisition there out there. Did you guys see that? We'll talk a little bit about China's decision to ease some quarantines. And we got David Lauer, our special guest of the day. Hope you guys could do me the favor. Start us up with a thumbs on up. And let me know in the chat, what is your top stock on your radar today? Let's go ahead and dive on in. Pre-market prep. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders. I see a couple of people happy out there that uh, Buffett's still believing in Oxy, but let's go ahead. Let's bring on Joel Alcon and Dennis Dick. And of course, Let's take a look at what happened in the futures market overnight. What did you see out there, Joel? Wow, we got a big old range, but the bottom line is we're up 22 and a half handles, 39.26 and a quarter. Uh, crude's having a good day too, up a buck 95, 111.52 for the crude oil market. Trying to work its way back up to 120. Gold in the green, that's by a buck 20, 18.26. No rally until you clear 18.50. Silver. That's in the green by 9.7 cents at 21, 26 and a half. Bitcoin, I've never seen it stay in one handle 
Well, the 20,000 handle, it's just trading the daylights out of that. Up a buck 80, 20,980. Ethereum futures, they're up $27.50 at 12.2150. Whoa, the old, you're, you're, Joel, you, you somehow muted, muted yourself. You muted yourself, mid, man. In, Your in, uh, like headset, mid it gets sense. sensitive sometimes. He's bumped a mute button on his keyboard or Check. something. Oh, it's, it's a little bit of a short. Where did you lose me at? Uh, no, well, you had a mute. You you literally went mute. I could see the mute button. Are you sure? It's not the mute button. It's just, there's a little uh, there's a little. Oh, because it showed you as mute. It went like it showed you like no mic. So no worries. Well, my was let, over let, here. His mic let, just let, cut out. It's the mute guys. Take a rewind that. Rewind that, Joel. Let's go back to ETH. What do you see on ETH here? No, ETH is up twenty seven fifty at twelve twenty one fifty. And then my next thing was Kathy Woods on TV. Do you think that I should oh my give goodness, her a, she is. a very important level, mm. a very important level in ARC, or should I save that for later on? Well, I give mean, me the, seeing as I she's on right now, I think I think I'll we want the level. We, we want He's the level. No worries. The level. <laughs> you got to go to premarketprep.com <laughs> to find out those big levels in ARKK. Kathy's uh, on there right now. We know. Hey. I kind of like Kathy again. We've been saying this for a week here oh. now, and she's moving up. And yesterday, all over the place, and outside. We had the inside day. We had the outside day, Joel. New highs, new lows all over the place. Yeah. So market trying to figure it out. It's been a good move for Kathy. She had a great week. She was up 18% last week. Mm -hmm. Like I said, on pullbacks here, you get a pullback, 41, 42. I think I'd be a buyer of ARKK. I'm going to say it again. Kathy, you're going to love me for saying this. I know you can't hear me right now because you're on CNBC. But again, I'm going to say, I believe the 2022 low is in for ARKK, and that's a bold call. Yeah, and I, I just, I can't, I can't argue with you on that. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I'm, you know, more, I'm a more of a forward looker here. And I mean, uh, nobody knows that far. Gonna look to the end of the month. <laughs> but we're going for it. We're yeah. making bold calls. Dare, dare to be bold. <laughs> you can't say we hide. You can't say we hide. That's, I'll that's say in the short term, though, that sentiment towards her stocks have absolutely turned. They did not make new lows. We said it yesterday on the show. They did not make new lows in June like everything else did. It was the value stocks getting hit, the crowded value stocks getting hit. Those stocks have become uncrowded. So that's why they're getting the relief pop. But she's talking Roku right now. She's talking her buck, so I'm kind of watching that at the same time. But hey, so I, I, if she's finally you're, you're seeing the bottoming action, did her uh, uh, don't don't frown average down strategy work? Well, I don't know because she's <laughs> she's she's so far down in most of those things. Obviously, you know this. You know our ARKK itself has not performed well. Really, since inception, now it's underperformed the NASDAQ, which is a scary thought. But you're back at 2017 pricing in ARKK, basically giving back five years of gains. I mean, there's a lot of bad news pricing these stocks. And yes, they're all nosebleed and they're still nosebleed. Some of these stocks are going to work out, though. Some of these stocks are actually, not all of them, but some of them actually are going to grow into those valuations. Some, not all. I still don't know if I would put it in my long-term portfolio. But right now, and we're traders, you can trade anything. I like ARKK better long than short, at least from a trading perspective. 
Uh, I, I'm not going to battle there. I definitely am going to keep watch on it. That We're going to see what happens there with the growth stocks. Let's keep going. Let's get into some of the major news yeah, today. Let's, do it. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's get into the banks. The banks. Yes, we're getting yeah. some action here, guys. Several banks raising their dividends after successfully passing the Federal Reserve stress test. The Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and more. So keep this on your radar. I'll give you guys some of these numbers here. Bank of America raising their quarterly dividend from 21 cents to a fabulous 22 cents a share. Uh, Morgan Stanley raising their dividend here from 70 cents to 77 uh, five there. And uh, Goldman Sachs raising their dividend from $2 to 250. Uh, JP Morgan and Citigroup, however, said increasingly stringent uh, capital requirements force them to keep their dividends unchanged. Just wanted to go ahead and also state that there are some of them that kept it unchanged, but a lot of them are raising those dividends. There was a good opportunity here in the banks. Props to CNBC. They talked about it multiple times that the banks were coming out with their capital allocation plans we knew last night. And we knew they were saying that the buybacks might not be as good as last year, but we knew there was probably going to be some buybacks. We knew there was going to probably be some dividend raises. Um, they even had the stocks kind of right. Um, they were saying, you know, they were concerned that JP Morgan, uh, Citigroup, and Bank of America weren't going to do as much. They picked uh, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo, um, which CNBC was, I'm just giving them some props because we dissed them so much, but they were all over it. And I actually went long Morgan, Goldman, and uh, Wells Fargo into the close, wow. like bought them at the close in size. On Wells Fargo, I think I, I bought a big position, Wells Fargo. Uh, Morgan Stanley as well. And just just guessing that I think, you know, when you're looking at the dividends, and I thought also that like the, the, the traditional banks, I, I picked on Morgan and Goldman mainly because I'm like, well, they don't have the traditional banking operations as much as, mm -hmm. you know, like they're still brokerage, you know, they've got some banking operations, but they're not like a Bank of America. So, um, so I bought those at the close. And then they came out with the plans just after 4.30 and they lifted big time and I sold into the left. Um, so I'd get trades Morgan, good trades in Goldman. Uh, Wells Fargo lifted a bit. I didn't get as much on that one. It wasn't as good, uh, but it's Too up thick. as well. Too thick. Yeah, um, and they didn't do as much. They only did the dividend raise. Morgan did the most. So and Morgan was ripping the most. And the guy, Domi, got on the Morgan bandwagon, pumping its tires. Kramer got on the Morgan bandwagon, pumping its tires last night. Um, Morgan Stanley did the most. They raised the dividend seven cents, and then they announced that uh, I think it was twenty billion um, over the course of the next little while in, in buybacks. So uh, Goldman raised their dividend fifty cents as well. So that you, you can you can make some money anticipating the news, especially when the the headlines are more predictable. I'm fully out of all these trades, so I can freely talk about them. But I like to sometimes you know just tell you you know different stuff that I'm doing, you know ways I'm making money. So <clears throat> anticipating that the buybacks were likely to happen. CNBC was saying that that was going to probably happen last night. <clears throat> Buying them for those announcements. The announcements happens, the stocks lift into them, and you, and you make the money off of it. So I'd get more, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs made my night last night. Yeah, uh, they're both, they're still ripping here. Um, I see Morgan trading. Goldman's giving the, back a little bit here right a little now. Bit, and Morgan's but, still bid. Uh, the question yeah, remains, really you know, can we keep, Got a little gap to fill here. If you guys want to, like, if this 8028, this 284 is not good enough for you, then um, you got a gap fill. Where's that come in at? That comes in in the 81 handle. 
81.15. I'd get out there at 81 just be the safe if I had that stock and I was looking for more on it. Top of yesterday's range. Whew, I don't think we'll see that today unless the market completely implodes. Uh, no, you can see that's only a buck away and buck and a half away, 78.40. And Morgan, again, um, you've got to listen sometimes. Sometimes when you have a stock and it's trading up and then it gets a CNBC extra push where you have like a yeah, guy at Domi or a yep. Steve Grasso. Yep. You know, um, you know, and obviously Jim Cramer is the most influential of them all. They can really give it a push. So when you're, if you're long something, and then they say something positive about it, it can really give it an extra push. So you've got to respect. You know, you don't have to go with you know their opinions, but you've got to respect that they have influence. You know, when they're talking about them on CNBC. I mean, three hundred thousand people watch Fast Money. A lot of people really follow Guy Domi closely. So you know, and he, there's no doubt, Morgan Stanley. If you look at it, Joel had announced it. If you look at the trading action last night, and then during the fast money, it really started to take off. And then Kramer mentioned it too on Mad Money, and that even gave it more of a boost. You know, he was somebody caller called in. He says, you know, they've just done this with raising the dividend, and uh, he was saying this was the one to buy. And Morgan Stanley ripped another dollar right after Kramer said that. So there is, you know, trading opportunities. Just listen to CNBC sometimes. Yeah, uh, and you use it a lot to exit your trades too. Right? Usually, yeah, and yeah. sometimes it'll get you out of a bad trade because, like I've said before, and we're with this CNBC now, you get the news, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's trading for three, four minutes, and then five minutes later, you get CNBC breaking news because they break the news way after everyone else because they're doing other things, they've got interviews, they've got stuff going on. They're not completely just a breaking news, you know, show. Right. So um, sometimes you'll get that extra push, and that's usually the CNBC pop, I call it. And sometimes you can sell into that CNBC pop. So once you know that they're, that they're talking into it, it'll take you out of a bad trade too sometimes because sometimes it'll be the news. It'll go up, and then it'll go down on it. It's like, uh-oh. But then the CNBC will eventually <laughs> get another pop, and then it starts to leak again. So fading CNBC is usually a good call, but in some cases you can go with it too. So you know, it's it, you got to just feel, feel it out. So, anyways, we're talking those banks. I mean, let's talk banks overall, too. I mean, the valuations, to Kramer's point, to Guy Dami's point, Morgan Stanley trading like seven or eight times earnings here. I mean, the banks are cheap. The banks are cheap. They're valued, but they've been value trades for a while. Mitch, you want to say? Yeah, I wanted to say, is this a a rip to sell, or do you think this is a a rip to maybe look for some pullback for entries? Um, What do you think? Hard to say. I mean, I would not buy the rip on these for the simple reason that I don't buy rips on anything. Um, if they pull back, would I pick on a Morgan Stanley? I would I would pick more on Goldman or Morgan than I would on the traditional banks. Because if we go into a recession, Morgan and Goldman will handle it better than a Citigroup or a Bank of America or even a Wells Fargo because there's so much traditional banking operations. And the biggest problem is the exposure to the economy, like you know, to your little guy that's going to be more strapped, small business, all that stuff. So, and this is why the banks are, don't kid yourself, this is why the banks haven't been able to catch a bit. Because America is pricing in that we're going into a recession and stuff's going to slow down. And that's how it's going to hit the banks. Because the higher interest rates help the banks, but it helps them to a certain point. And at a certain point, the economy starts to slow down, then it starts to hurt. So there's a balancing act here. Again, I don't think there's going to be a soft landing. I still think we're going into a recession. I just think there's a lot of stocks that have already priced that in. And that's why I've started to nibble my toes um, in the water. But it's hard to just jump in and just say, okay, I'll buy the banks now because we did a little bit of dividend raising when you still have the opinion that I do that a recession is on the horizon. 
All right, let's go towards someone else that has major influence. Uh, none other than, of course, Warren Buffett, a uh, reported purchase of uh, 794,389 wow. shares. Next time, maybe round that up for me, Warren, to help me out. But shares of Occidental Petroleum here at an average price of 55.39 shares in a form uh, for filing on Monday. And you can see Oxy still rising there in pre-market. Nice little raise there. Um, we're going to see what how, how this actually helps out uh, the energy trade after a decent day on Monday. Um, I, I got to say, I made some good gains in Gush uh, in and out. So yeah. we can talk about it. Let's see what Oxy's doing today. And how do you guys see oil? Um, Oxy, I had a trade in Oxy. I've sold it. Uh, I, I bought it last night on the filing when it hits the wire. And Warren Buffett nice. obviously uh, Not bought it. a bad overnight gone. deal. Yeah, and you had to pay up a bet. I mean, it was running, but I was like, it'll run more tomorrow off this. And then the oil push obviously helps it. Um, so, you know, so anyways, I'm out of the trade. I've sold it now. It's a big pop. We already know Warren is heavy in it. He added a little bit more. I mean, being up 4.38%, a little bit to do with the XLE being up 2.5%. But it's kind of, you know, I feel a little bit like, you know, I'm not going to chase it here. Would I buy Oxy on pullbacks? I think I would. I There's not, and there was an analyst saying this last time, there's a non-zero chance that he just buys the whole company. There is a non-zero chance this company. He opens like 17% of the company now. So could mm-hmm. he eventually just it's come out not and buy a zero chance, right? No, I mean a non-zero. That, like, and I'm not yeah, saying yeah. It's, I'm not saying it, there, there's a possibility. And there's another way to say non-zero is a possibility. Warren yeah. could buy the whole company. <laughs> that analyst was saying it um, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember who it was, and I was like, it does make sense. It does make sense. It's a cash cow. It's making a lot of money. It's his kind of stock. He already owns like 16 or 17 percent of it. He possibly could buy the whole company. So these little buys might keep happening here, but there's the outside chance that that can happen. Maybe just comes takes the whole thing out at 80 bucks. That could happen. So if I was buying an oil stock, this is the one I would buy. Yeah, they always say uh, uh, add to winners, right? It looks like he's still added to winners. Yeah, boy, hand over fist too. And he was he's buying the dip as well. Trading at the highs of the pre-market session, right? 61.45. I just sold my last yeah. shares right before the show started at like 61, 61.49. I just sold my last. Oh, ones. man. That's a lot this... of a reason I sold because I wanted to freely talk about it on the show too. So <laughs> Hey, can't blame you. Right <laughs> you talk about it. Where'd you sell it, Dennis? I've sold. I've been selling all morning, so I sold some sixty-one twenty, sixty-one. So I've been selling all in the sixty-one. Sixty-one fifty-five is your pre-market high. I didn't uh, get the for, high. Yeah, for me. Six, what about sixty-two bucks? You had that. That you had the two-day drop back a uh, few weeks ago, and then you had a sharp rebound, sixty-one ninety-eight. Maybe some paper stacked at sixty-two. Uh, that's what I would look at, of course, if you start to. Weekend at 6170, 6175. You come back down to the 6150 area. Some room on the downside. Uh, top of yesterday's range, 6015. Uh, last time it didn't react quite the same way. I don't know if it was uh if it was different uh market conditions or not, but um really acting favorable today. Maybe it's helping that crude's up a buck sixty-five, maybe it's helping that the, the spoos are up, even though we are we are leaking a little bit here. Uh we're still up 18 handles at 2175. 
Yeah, we're leaking. Um, this is what the market. We're just gonna be so weird, a little bit of chop. Yeah. We've run like go back to the overall market. I mean, this has been a pretty good run already. So if you're coming in and buying now, you're absolutely doing it backwards. We were talking, you know, about buying dips at three seventy five, spy three seventy seven. We had a couple of dips in there. Um, now we're three ninety. So I think now is the time you start ringing some register because we've had a pretty good move. We just went from three sixty two to three ninety, which is basically what a five percent move up, Joel. More the lows here, a little more. more. Yeah, five. So, so yeah, so thirty points. So yeah, you're talking seven percent move up. Six and a half, I think, is what I. So you have six and a half percent in six days. I mean, this, and you're in a bear market. I mean, now is the time where you picked up, you got lucky, you got the bottom. Maybe you were buying some dips here the last couple of days. You're selling into it. I think there's major resistance up at 400. Could we get there? I think you could. I think it would be a target. I think like if you're really long the stuff and you want to hold on, I think you yeah. could see 400, 4,000 on S&P. I think that's a great selling opportunity. I think at 4,000, I'd be more inclined to even short stocks up there. But we've run a long way. So it's now time to start bucking a little bit of those profits from the long side. If you've been so lucky you know, to buy some of those ARKK and they're running 19% last week, you're probably lightening up into this to a certain extent. I still like it. I think I would buy pullbacks, but we've run a little bit too far here now. So again, remember waves. Stocks, this is a big thing. Stocks trade in waves. Mm -hmm. Waves, waves. So if you're literally buying the top of the peak all the time, you're asking to lose money. So just keep that in mind. Waves. So if you know you're lot, if you're all of a sudden bullish, wait for the little wave down because it'll yep. have a little wave down. Like well, obviously we like stocks and uptrends, and we're thinking about waves like that. That are going like that. If I'm buying dips in stocks and uptrends, I'm usually selling rips on stocks and downtrends. Same opposite. You know, if you got to turn an opinion though, and sometimes I'm pretty good at identifying those calls. I'm not buying when they rip that first day. I'm buying, you know, when they pull back after the rip. So just think about that, and that'll help you with the FOMO too. Think about the waves. When you start getting FOMO and you're chasing, chasing, think about the waves. Because more often than not, you're going to get a little bit of a pullback there, and that's when you strike. Yeah, one of the things that I always uh, listen to, and it's a comment that you've said, and it's always stuck with me, Dennis, is that the market likes to hurt where it can hurt the most. And if you think about this in reference to when we were really extreme, everyone was like extremely bearish, then we got to bounce, right? Now we get to this point where you get three or four or five days on the upside move, and then you start seeing what? Too many people probably leaning on the bullish side, and then boom, you get a little bit of a smack right back down. Um, I'm with Dennis. Also, I'm looking at uh, levels into the 400. So I do think that we could get a little bit more rise. Uh, that would bring us into a trend line, a longer term trend line on the daily. I think that could come into play. Um, like always, it's going to be a lot of dependent, I think, if we can get some positive catalysts, right? I, I think that this drive came but it came all based off of oversold territory. I think we haven't really gotten that true positive catalyst to kind of change the theme out there, but that's just my thinking. What do you think, Joel? I think the momentum right now, you had the quad witch expiration, you had the low of the move on the quad witch expiration, and you've made a turn here. And now you really distance yourself from the low. So, I'm going to stay, you know, I'm going to stay in the bullish camp here, even though, there, you know, there's a couple of things that are a little bit concerning, but um, I would like to see just like, a, you know, hang in here and then get a good CPI number. And then I think you're going to have one of those days where you're like, oh my gosh, you know, for, why wasn't I buying in the 3000 handle when we're at, you know, 42, 4300. We're so. really leaking, Joel. 
Yeah, what's going We're on? We're down about 12 points from when we started the show. Uh, the banks are not helping this cause either. Um, they were off. You... They were off, man. That... <clears throat> Goldman was 306, 307. It's 303 now. I mean, there's people who are just coming in here and taking profits on some of these things. Uh, but, you know, overall, there's just, you know, some damage just slowly starting to happen here. Most stocks are still trading green here, but we're slowly just leaking out some of these gains again. There's just so much profit taking. There's so many people who have just been burned, and every time you start getting back, you know, a little bit, then they start to try to get their money back, and they start to sell. It's so tough in a bear market to hold mm-hmm. the gains. Yeah, and uh, also, I don't, I don't think uh, every time you get these rallies, you start seeing mentions of people, like, kind of concerned. Uh, is this rally going to hold? And you guys are seeing some investors maybe turn. Let's go to Nike here. Let's go take a look at uh, Nike after after earnings after our earnings yesterday. Let's take a look here. EPS was at 90 cents, beating an 81 cent estimate. Sales were at 12.2 billion, beating a 12.07 billion estimate. But it popped and dropped. So I'm gonna go to my man Dennis that watched probably the action the whole time. Uh, what did you see out there, Dennis? Um, I saw the Nike left. I saw the Nike pretty good earnings beat and also buyback. And I saw Kramer come out and kind of give it some props. And then I saw it give it all back. They said on the conference call, I don't know what they said, but they obviously said something on the call. But they turned around and they just started hammering it on the call. And obviously gave it all back. Now you start thinking about the low of the move. And it's not like this all of a sudden is just bouncing around. It's traded down here now for the better part of the after-hour session, the entire pre-market session. I think it could challenge the low of the move. 104 is huge support. Nike's just not, you know, when you do a buyback and you beat and you do a buyback, I don't know what they said on the call. It was something, I, I, somebody mentioned, I, I just forget to be honest with you, but something was mentioned on the call. Um, and obviously they didn't like it. They've taken it down. So your 104, 105 is your major support. If that goes, Katie bar the door, you're going to see 100 bucks. So you need that 104 to hold. Yeah, did Dennis gave you a good zone there. Um, I don't one hundred four fifty. Uh, that's where someone stepped up or multiple players stepped up ahead of the low of the move. I don't know if you're going to get another three bucks out of this on the downside, but if you really want to own it as a place uh, based on the daily support uh, to be the actual low of the move is one one hundred three forty six. Uh, they talked about, you know, once again, inventory, supply chain. So that's something building inventory is not something <coughs> you want to hear if you're having a slowing economy. I think for me, and I'm looking at the bottom right chart here. Those are a bunch of kind of ugly red candles here. So if I was looking at this from a longer term perspective, uh, at least, I mean, look at this down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven months in a row. Give me a green candle on a monthly and something uh, something to lean on uh, before really jumping in. Last month's close, boom. That's way up at uh, 118.85. So, Mar- you know, this usually moves pretty well with the market, and uh, the market's had a nice rally, and this is in the gutter. So, And, and, and when they do the buyback? And, you know, you're getting crickets and then they're trying to find a reason to sell the stock. They weren't even lifting it on the buyback. It was up like a buck, two bucks. I'm like, this is an okay report and the buybacks there. They didn't care. So stock is telling you that it probably wants to go lower. I think it's got a date with maybe double digits eventually here. So to, to everybody loving Nike out there, I, I personally, I would wait. I think you're going to see this with a 99 yeah. handle. 
Nice, nice pop up to 114.20. Or they filled the gap. I don't know why they went up. Well, probably on the headline numbers is when they took it to 115. That filled a little gap at 114.26. So if you had your, I don't know how much it traded on that little pop there, but if you have your offers out, you're going to get lifted on that. S&Ps are now, they're struggling, Dennis. They are. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Do we, um, I'm not seeing any news. We don't have any. Just a leak. We got yeah. a slow, steady There's, leak. You know, when I looked at the range, you know, I check it, you know, in the middle of the night, and I'm like, wow, why the heck did we go down to 38.85? You know, that was seven points below yesterday's low. And I'm like, well, why the heck did we go up to 39.37.75? That took out the interday high from yesterday. And I'm like, and really, you know, didn't see any real negative news to take us down that low. Certainly didn't see any positive news to, uh, you know, to take us up that high, but probably still just um, uh, uh, consolidating, right? We've had a big move and after a big, big move. moves, yeah, a very big move. You have consolidation and you decide which way, uh, which way to go. DCB, man, DCB. We'll see what happens. Let's keep looking at what's going on in the market. Let's go towards here. Uh, the Can we, let's play a game here. Let's play a uh, deal or no deal with oh. Hood. Um, <laughs> looks no like deal, uh, Sam said, No deal, baby. No deal. Uh, Sam uh, Bankman uh, Fried here, uh, chief executive at the crypto exchange FDX. And this was interesting because he did take a stake earlier in the month, so a lot of people were kind of hinting, Well, maybe this was in the works. Uh, but he said that the company is not having any active merger and acquisition conversations with Robinhood Market Hood after a Bloomberg article had already stated here that we are, uh, that it would be looking into exploring an, an acquisition here for the digital trading platform. His comments were that we are excited about Robinhood's business prospects and potential ways that we can partner with them. But I have always been impressed by the business that Vlad and his team have built. So he gave so some, I don't know some what compliments there, like but... The, what you know what you the average, <clears throat> I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what some people were tweeting on Twitter. I don't know where they got it from. You know what the average uh, Robinhood account size is? Guess. Zero? No, no, that's not zero. They obviously have some <laughs> stock still, but what is the $100. average? <laughs> the average person in, in Robinhood, what's the average account size? $1,000, I would say. No, way under that. I'd say Joel's, $100. Joel's bucks. closer. Keep going. What's the, what's the chat guessing? Chat, let's throw it up. I there. just, I, I, I just, two thousand fifty dollars. Somebody guessing. Somebody, Chris Gerard says thirty five hundred. Aaron says two thousand. What's the average? I don't know if this is right or not. So don't. But I was yeah, going around on Twitter yesterday. So I don't know. Somebody probably found it. It was like, and, and then I think CNBC even mentioned it. It's oh, somebody, somebody's a couple of people got it right on. So some people have seen the tweets. What is it? Three hundred. Two. Davos got it right on. There's a few people that got it around. It's two hundred forty bucks. Okay, so let's rewind the show on when Robin you and Spencer were talking bucks. about buyouts and this thing getting bought out. And I was saying, who the hell would want to buy, buy a bunch of accounts with, you know, the only reason they'd be bought is they want to get the younger demographic and get their credit card debt. And maybe if they ever can afford to buy a house, sell them a mortgage. That's the only reason. Who wants all those those small accounts on your system just jamming things up. So I, I think there's value there. Like there's still this value to have the accounts, um, but it's okay. not like 
you know, and when you say all this, they got so many accounts, a lot of these accounts are very small. Like it's still valuable to Twitter. have those clients, those customers, the information. So there is value here. I, I think Robinhood, I think somebody could scoop it up. I think it could happen. I've said this for a while that it could get scooped up, but the reason I didn't buy it was because I don't know if it's going to be at like $5 and get bought out at 7 So, um, you know, obviously the business isn't a lot, you know, of, of pain right now. Retail business, I mean, retail has been hurt. The retail stocks, anybody, you yeah. know, that's in the retail trading business right now is suffering, um, you know, the, from, from the sell perspective because you know, a lot of the retail traders have been hurt. I do think somebody eventually will buy Robinhood. I do think it could happen, but I don't think it's going to be at 20 bucks. I don't even know if it's going to be at 15. I'm worried that if we continue to leak, you know, if a buyout takes long enough, the stock could go to like three or four dollars and people are going to say it's trading under its cash. But again, the cash is there for a buffer. There's other things to consider there. So you can't just say, oh, it's trading down to where its cash is. I mean, you know, that's not the case. They've got obviously they need some cash to have to be able to for the customers to trade so you can't just consider all of that as well but Robinhood, um i i i'm, I'm torn you know goldman gives it the upgrade yesterday you get the rumors yesterday but the completely squashed again very torn i think if you're taking a shot eight dollars at speculative capital i kind of think you might make money on it eventually at eight bucks but again it depends if we go into a full recession people start you know like and keep getting hit hard and, and from the retail side this is a little bit of a gamble I heard that they had, and I heard actually give more credit to CNBC love today. Um, we I are heard really had, giving CNBC love. <laughs> yeah, you guys are. We're the CNBC well, what's lovers. Here, we got what's Kathy. On, we say man? we like Kathy today. Oh, Jason, we give man. up props for Kramer. And we're giving CNBC all the love today. We're like your walking advertisement for CNBC today. Uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not in that camp, guys. That's, that's these guys. I heard they have $6.9 billion in cash. They do. They have yeah. some cash. They got some cash. But but again, all your brokers are going to have some cash, Joel. You can't run a brokerage without <laughs> cash because you can't have people, you know, you need margin. Yeah. You need like, yeah. your, your brokerages have to, to have money. cash. Yeah, they need capital requirements, right? Yeah. So you can't have zero. You're not going to run a brokerage and you don't have any cash. So I that's something that's to consider too. Isn't you can't just like say, oh, yeah, it's work? back to its cash, so we're going to buy it all now. I mean, nah, it doesn't work that way. That. But we that being we... said, I do think, look, this was an $80 stock. It's $8. What's the market cap on this puppy now? It's always a fun exercise. When you talk about buyouts, don't look at price. Look at the market cap and say, could somebody scoop that yeah. up? And there's probably some debt in there, too. I don't know what the debt is, but what I'm sure got? there's debt we got, as well. Uh, I got 6.9 right now on my platform. In debt? Uh, no, billion in capitalization. So Do you have any debt? Cap. What's the debt look. that's popping? Let me look here. Right, you know what I'll do? Those directors, remember those directors that got out? Um, oh, they got out so well. I don't know how they were able to sell, like right off the IPO. And uh, when those guys are buying stock. Selling into you know, everybody's FOMO. Yeah, when was that, man? Remember, I can remember that exact day. And uh, GoPro had it. It was this day right here. Back in August, and that it was uh, August fifth of twenty one, and after that, that was kind of like the GoPro guy. He got out of his covenant with um, with JP Morgan. It was able to sell stock. So yeah. yeah, when those people are buying stock, then I'm back in and uh, in Robinhood. It's around a seven billion dollar market cap here. It's not expensive. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket if one of the big dogs just wants, wants to them. Keep it up. Yeah. 
They, they want the clients. They want this. There is value in Robinhood. This is not a zero. In my opinion, Robinhood is absolutely not a zero. Somebody will scoop it up at a certain point in time. I just don't know if that time is going to be at $5, at $6, at $8, at $10. I kind of think, again, I'm going to say it again. I'm going out on a limb. I kind of think if you're buying this at 8 bucks. I think you're going to make money on it eventually, but I don't know the path and may, and, and, I, and I don't know anything. I might be wrong. Maybe it's going to go down and maybe it is going to go under, but I don't think so. I don't think this is a zero. So I don't, I, I don't, I kind of like it at eight bucks. I'll say that. I kind of like it at eight bucks. Right. Yeah, okay. I, see. I have no position in it. I kind of like it at eight bucks. See about uh, it's in millions. I see in total liabilities eleven thousand seven hundred forty-one. But you can see their assets are eighteen thousand eight hundred seventy-two. So they definitely have a, a pretty significant also in cash there at six thousand one hundred and ninety-one, and that was from in March. So um, we'll see. There's definitely some. Pr- the balance sheet's not looking bad. I mean, if you take a look at the balance sheet, it really is not looking too bad there. So I could see. Someone's stepping in here, right? What's not to say possible um, with FTX being mentioned now, it might get on radar of other platforms, right? Because you start seeing, okay, well, if FTX is taking a look or maybe taking a look, should I be taking a look? So I think there'll be some more due diligence that gets done here with this report. We'll see what happens there. Let's go towards our guest now. Let's go ahead. Let's get out of the hood. So uncover that hood. Let's get into our guest interview today. We got a great one for you guys today. We're bringing on Dave Lauer, CEO of Irvin AI. Let's go ahead. Let's bring him onto the show. First time I get to speak to him, so I'm excited to get into it. Let's welcome onto the show, Dave. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing Working well, Dave. Uh, thank, thanks for joining us. Uh, you just—I I know you hopped in her early, and uh, you were listening to that uh, Robin Hood discussion. And I know that uh, you've been uh, been very involved with retail traders and everything. God, I'd like to hear your take on on um, our take um, <laughs> on Hood. You know, uh, I, I don't think much of the business or the business model personally. Um, I think that's probably obvious. <laughs> uh, we don't like payment. I'm with you, Dave. You know that. We don't like yeah. payment. Uh, here we go. There's value. Yeah. In, it's got to be value there, though, at a certain point in time. Like, I, I mean, mean, I you... think there's value for someone to acquire it. I, I think that the payment for order flow business is going to go away. I, I don't know how how long it's going to be around, um, right? Because these things can take time. Regulation takes time. And then you know they might sue the SEC to try and keep it around another year, right? Because that's... That's uh, another year of payments and, and people making money, but it's just such a corrupt business model and business practice, right? And when you learn more, the more you learn about Hood's business and how they uh, charge payment for order flow based on spread, not as a fixed payment, uh, which in, not only incentivizes them to get their clients to trade more, uh, but gets the incentivizes them to get their clients to trade less liquid, wider spread names, you know, that's just messed up. It's so yeah. disturbing. In every way, right? You couldn't you couldn't come up with a business model that 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 pits its own interests against that of its clients better if you tried to come up with it. So, you know, I I think I, I'm not here to argue the fundamentals. Yeah, there's some cash in the business. They're an undercapitalized broker. If you've been reading the House Financial Services report, it's kind of nuts what happened. Uh, you know, during the the, the so. craziness of of last January, but. Um, you know, it's good to see they have a few more billion on the balance sheet. 
Well, this is a good segue into payment for order flow. Dave, you've been doing some amazing stuff from an advocacy perspective. You've got a great following in social media. I mean, talk about what you're doing, first of all, from the advocacy perspective and obviously trying to educate traders on better markets, on market structure, payment for order flow, and just making markets better altogether. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so what we did was um, a few months ago, I was on the, the John Stewart, the problem with John Stewart talking about these issues. And at the same time, when that show came out, we launched this uh, grassroots advocacy campaign called We the Investors. And, um, you know, the main point is to empower retail investors. So for a very long time, people like Robinhood and Schwab and TD and Citadel and Virtu, they've held themselves out as representing the interests of retail investors. But you know, they're, they're here to productize retail investors. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's them representing the interests of their annual bonuses. And so, you know, we said we can, th there's a better way to do this. And, and retail is so uh, passionate about markets lately, um, you know, over the last year and a half, it's been a completely different dynamic. It's just, you know, Dennis, I'm sure than you know, for the 10 years before that, where we were kind of talking about these issues and, and nobody's, nobody's listening. much attention. Um, and so, yeah, what, we, we, we formed this advocacy campaign and um, we, we've put together some, a letter, for example, to Gary Gensler on payment for order flow. It got almost 72,000 signatures. Um, that, that got us a meeting with him where we presented the case, a comprehensive case against payment for order flow and off exchange trading and the damage that it's doing to markets um, with, you know, the most important statistic I think being that spreads are 25% wider in the market than they otherwise would be in the absence of this practice. And that's just a huge number. That's a multi-billion dollar cost uh, in, you know, in markets to investors, to traders, to everyone involved, and, and especially to pension plans and mutual fund companies and you know, the places where most, most individual investors really hold their wealth. So you know, we're pushing to change the system and just simplify it, that's all. We just wanna simplify markets, make them easier to understand, and increase competition. That it, that's really and and get rid of subsidies. That's really all that it comes down to in terms of the the changes that we're pushing for. And we see Gary, and we saw him on CNBC. I believe it was yesterday or the day before. I'm losing track of days. He was on with Jim Cramer, and he's starting yeah. to talk about some of these issues. I mean, um, what's your thought process here? Because we've had a lot of different SEC chairs, uh, obviously, and, and Gary Gensler seems more open to listening to some of these arguments here. Um, I, I, we've never spoken to him on the show or anything, but just from you know, listening and following his Twitter account, it seems like he kind of gets that, you know, maybe it's not so great that our equity markets have went, you know, from 20% dark to 30% dark to almost, you know, approaching 50% off exchange trading here. Now at a certain point, they're becoming opaque. I mean, you know, we always try to shine light into the bond market and here's our equity markets and they're starting to go the other way. They're starting to go dark here. So what are your thoughts on how Gary's receiving, you know, some, some of this uh, information that you're sending them? I, I found him to be very open to what we were saying. And, and I think that the case that we laid out was so compelling because it's completely data driven, right? And so you constantly see, for example, Doug Sifu out there talking about, how you know he's got the data and the other side doesn't, and you know besides the fact that he completely agreed with everything I'm saying about six years ago, uh, you know what we have shown is that he doesn't have the data, and a lot of the data that they have is manipulated, and uh, frankly, a, a bunch of it is just made up. Um, and you know we came in with a, a comprehensive data-driven case showing the problems that this is causing in markets and how it's reducing 
the competitiveness, the global competitiveness of U.S. markets, that the U.S. US markets are not no longer the most liquid and the most efficient in the world. And, and that's a huge economic problem for us. And I think that, may, that, that showing the evidence for it and putting all of these different, you know, a lot of us are, are aware of all of these different studies and, and uh, things that have been done, but putting it all together in one place and putting the narrative together I think was really compelling, uh, led to a great follow-up meeting with a huge set of staff at the SEC, nice. meeting with Congress and, and, and some you know, legislative directors and, and, and people in, in the Senate and the House on both sides. And you know, to me, this is a bipartisan issue um, and it's not something that has to get political. Uh, it's frustrating that the, you know, Virtu and Citadel are trying to make it political. Robinhood is trying to make it political. They're trying to turn people against each other uh, because they know that that's one of the ways they might actually come out, you know, ahead on this. But I just think there's there's such good data that you can't dismiss it. And um, so, you know, I don't know how it's going to come out. There are lots of ideas flying around. Um, I don't know if you've seen, you know, some of these ideas like around a retail auction facility. Yeah. Um, and you know, to me, I I don't like that idea per se. I I think it makes that it more complicated. Exactly right. That's the problem, and 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 we don't need it. We don't need to add more complexity. Yeah. We just need to strip it away and let everyone compete at the MBBO, and that's where we're going to have the best outcomes. We can shrink tick sizes and tick constrained names so that we get the same kind of price improvement opportunities on exchange that we've had off. We can drop the access fee cap or get rid of rebates and get rid of the access fee cap altogether. Yeah. You know, there's a, a comprehensive set of things we can do to simplify markets, make them more liquid, make them more competitive. And so that's I mean, that's the whole for. thing, like simplifying markets. And we've become so complex. I mean, the U.S. market structure is just, you know, this web of complexity here. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to almost be, a, you know, an engineer. you got to have, you know, to even follow the complexity of it. Right. I've done it, you know, on the side, obviously, for a number of years. I'm a trader. So, you know, it's, 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 it's my best interest to understand some of the plumbing. But you start getting into the details and some of the stuff that I mean, holy mind boggling as yeah. to where, you know, try to follow your order on where it's going and figuring yeah. it all out. And we don't even have the transparency on that. I mean, everything just off exchange. Like, I mean, when I trade on ARC or I trade on NSDQ or I trade, I see it hit the tape on that exchange. Yeah. When you trade off exchange, it just, you know, randomly hits FINRA. So half the trades just say FINRA. I mean, well, what is that? Yeah. Know, where is FINRA? You know, well, it's a million different things. You got dark pools in there and you have off exchange market makers in there and you've got, you know, cr institutional crossing networks like LiquidNet. I mean, you have so many different things hitting FINRA. Let's add a little bit of transparency. What are your thoughts on just adding transparency to the consolidated tape? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is it's actually a topic that has uh, come up multiple times with me and FINRA. Um, you know, I sit on the FINRA market reg committee, um, but I also talk to them uh, about these issues and, and I've, I've pushed it before. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful there's something that can be done there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that is sort of the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think, it, you know, there's a lot going on off exchange that we would not be happy about if we if we not only had transparency into where things were happening but really like what is going on right when doug sifu came out and he said that they provide infinite liquidity what, what does that even mean How, that that's not possible right and if you look at the house financial services report they obviously weren't providing infinite liquidity as they were turning off you know names left and right during the flash crash yeah but uh, you know it's like it's it it also speaks to 
the way that these mark market makers, which I, you know, I, I wouldn't call them market makers, but they 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 use this exemption in Reg Show so that they can short without locates. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot of questions as to whether they're abusing that and whether that leads to, you know, this FTD problem that we keep seeing in some of these, you know, highly volatile, highly shorted names. And I think that you have a lot of people, a lot of retail investors that are losing confidence just in the mechanics of the market. Like they, they bought something. Do they own the shares? Can they pull the shares out of their broker? A lot of them are having trouble with it. There's a huge movement to register people's shares. I don't know if you've been paying any attention to like this direct registration movement with GameStop, but you know it's really fascinating. I think what retail investors are doing, given the current market structure and and the problems that I think some of them have identified. What do you think is going to happen? Like if you were just had your crystal ball, and I don't, I I personally don't think payment for order flow is going to go away. I think the argument on the other side, where well, this is the driver of free trading, and if we get, and I don't know if I believe that or not, but I'm I don't know, like, and and, and from my own perspective, you know, as a retail trader, you know, and obviously trading at Bright Trading, I would love more, you know, volume on the exchange. And when I go and I've had multiple meetings with, with the SEC over the course of the last decade on these issues. I go in there and they see, oh, here's a guy trading on the exchange and he wants more orders on the exchange. So he's just talking his own book too. And to a certain extent, I am for sure. But I just think you bring it on to the exchange, it's going to give you know a better market, more transparency. There's going to be better auctioning process if all the orders are coming onto the exchange. But what do you think is really going to happen? Are we going to be able to like get rid of payment for order flow, bring back off exchange and bring some of these orders back on the exchange? Or is it just going to be like they add more transparency and call it a day? What What's your thoughts here, Dave? You know, and first of all, like, I don't have a horse in this race either, right? I It, yeah. it doesn't affect my business in any way yeah. if we simplify markets and get all these orders on exchange. I just think it's the right thing to do. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny how rare that level of independence is in this debate, but it is because most of the people are working at a firm and talking their book. So you're right on that. Um, I think that something is going to come out of this and whether it is an outright ban on rebates and payment for order flow, which I think would be the best thing to do to get rid of those inducements that lead to order routing that are, you know, for, for not that, that is not being routed for best execution purposes. I think the ban would be the best. I, I think that's probably a stretch, but if, if that's not what happens, the reason I think he's talking about auctions and uh, dropping the access fee cap and shrinking the tick size, which is sort of the set of and and bringing best execution into the SEC. So that's sort of the four main things that Gary Gensler has laid out. Those by doing that, you would make payment for order flow uneconomical, and it would end. So I, I think there are ways to do it where you simply ban it and you put a trade at rule in place, which is what I think we should do. Um, and there are ways that you sort of make things a bit more complex, but at the same time, make it uneconomical and you at least improve outcomes for retail, right? So today when a retail trader or investor sends their order to their broker, it usually goes to one of maybe three or four uh, wholesalers. You know, there are others, but there, you know, it's really only two that have most of the market share and, and maybe a third that has a little bit, but um, you know, basically if we mandated order by order competition in an auction facility or some other transparent venue, you would at least open up the opportunities that order has for price improvement to let's say tens or maybe a hundred 
other people that want to compete for that order flow. Um, and so you could have institutional investors getting in and and actually trading with retail. And that's one of the biggest problems in our markets today is that natural buyers and sellers are not finding each other. Yeah, Everything is intermediated. Yes. And so if it, at least if we take this one step, we would reduce some intermediation. But I, I really do think that if we took a much more aggressive step, you would get rid of a lot of intermediation. That's why a lot of firms are pushing against this because a lot of firms make their money on rent seeking. Dave, did you say uh, reducing tick size? Because what I, I think that really the root of all evil in, in a lot of this is like, is that when we went to pennies, I mean, that just, it's not pennies, it's sub pennies. So there's an infinite amount of places, is, I mean, except for like the retail you could get price improvement in that, but you can't yeah. execute in that. I mean, what it? I mean, there's no incentive to have market makers anymore, right? What about I'll exchange ones? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I mean, it's just not worth it for the risk. Yeah. I mean, what do you think if you went? And and I know I'm getting a little of pushback on this, but what if you went to nickels? All right. So I, I think it's a really good question, Joel. And and so what I. I think there are two ways that this can go. And and what's the most important thing is we often talk about markets broadly, but but there's not a single sort of market dynamic. And it, it, when you're talking tick size, you've got a good portion of the market, which is tick constrained, right? It would trade tighter if it could. And then you've got most of the market, which is not tick constrained. Right. And I think the best solution would be something that solves for both of those problems. So I could see moving to a 50 mil tick increment on exchange for tick constrained names. And I could see widening the tick and trade increment in the non tick constrained names. So, you know, I that's called what I, the proposal I like came out of NASDAQ and it's called the NASDAQ Intelligent Tick Size Proposal. And um, you know, what it would do is it would compress the tick size for names that need it and it would widen it for other names. And I think that would be a great solution. It would get us away from this sort of one size fits all kind of regulation. Um, but I do think that on the tick constrained names, it would be worthwhile to bring the tick and trade increment into 50 mils because that would also create the same kind of price improvement opportunities on exchange that you have off exchange. Now, one of the things I think you're talking about, Joel, is the fact that the off exchange, there is no constraint essentially for a trading increment. You can trade out to four decimals, right? And that's a problem because first of all, most of the price improvement that the people are getting is de minimis. It's like one mil a share or two mils a share, right? And it's just so brokers can juice their stats and say, oh, 95% of our orders get price improvements. That's true. Full, right? So I, you know, I think that the that also means that the off-exchange market has a competitive advantage, a regulatory advantage that, that the exchanges can't compete against. And so it's an uneven playing field. And that's a big problem for markets because it drives more volume off exchange. So we need to harmonize it. First of all, it should be the same on it, on exchange and off. And then once you do that, you can also start to see, should we bring it down to 50 mils and tick constrained names? Now, unfortunately, one of the things that's being thrown about is actually reducing the tick and trade increment to 10 mils across the board. Holy. <laughs> so not only not going to a penny, going to a tenth of a penny. 
Um, I think that's a terrible idea. Yeah. I think it's a terrible idea for exactly the reason you're talking about, but also because it would make latency even more valuable, right? It would it would drive this this latency and performance race even further, and it would increase the amount of volume in terms of market data to unsustainable levels. So and and, and remember the qu the quote flickering problem. If we go back to okay. you, could probably remember this, but before we had Reg NMS, they put yeah. the six twelve in there, SEC rule six twelve to address mainly the quote flickering because what was happening, and Joel, you can probably remember this too. You'd bring up your quote and you had the algorithms battling for Q position and the quote would just flicker. It wouldn't stay because there's so stay. many changes in price from point yeah. one, point one, point one, and the quote would flicker and it actually would give me a headache yeah. even trying to watch it. So it was a serious issue. So if you go, and I hope Gary Gensler maybe can listen to this, you know, maybe we can send them, but it, I think it's a mistake to get too constrained like or to, to bring it down too much that tick size because yeah. you go right back in that quote flickering problem that we had back in 2006 so i i agree i think on stock like series xm siri which is artificially a penny wide all the time i think if you went to a half tick on that why not why not go to yeah. a half tick on something like that but going down to like you know the sub penny fractions or to four decimal points it's just going to make algorithms battling for Q position on all these things and the quotes are going to flicker and it's not going to, you know, and obviously the data problem that you just mentioned too, Dave, I think, you know, we don't want to go too far. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly what we've told him and, and the SEC staff. And, you know, they, they, they definitely seemed receptive to the arguments. Uh, you know, I don't know who's pushing the 10 mil, uh, that sounds crazy. Event, but you know, well, uh, definitely, uh, this sounds like a conversation. We're going to have to have a whole show on this. That's what I think. Um, so, um, that's what I'm going to go ahead and look into. We're going to have to do a little pre-market prep special. Might be on pre-market prep plus, but we'll find out what's going on. I think this is a great conversation. Uh, thank you for Thanks, joining Dave. us today, Dave yeah, Lauer, CEO Thanks of Urban AI. And definitely check out Urban AI. Um, so you guys can go ahead and do so. I'll put it up in the description below. Thank yeah, you and, uh, and Urban Finance. Urban Finance. That's... Uh, yeah. That's our, our uh, retail investor platform and uh, Check that out, guys. making great progress with it. Some big big news coming out in the next couple of weeks. Dave, we appreciate all your efforts. I mean, I'm on board with everything that you're fighting for there. I completely agree with 99% of the stuff you're fighting for. So keep up the good fight. You know, we're behind you. I wish I had the energy sometimes to be right there with you. But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, anything, you know, we'll bring you back on the show and keep educating investors. Thanks very much. Appreciate Dave, it. you may have set the modern day record for the number of of smiles um during an interview so, <laughs> <laughs> it's everybody good. likes you dave everybody likes you yeah that's what i'd like to see man and definitely what's so wrong you gotta smile baby life is good regardless uh working hard there for the retail traders and i think that's important uh one of the things that's important is definitely i mean i feel like institutionals and hedge funds they all have edge right they already get edge a lot of the times uh so giving some back towards the retail is definitely important. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's touch maybe the last couple topics that we have here. We got about, about three minutes to do before 9 a.m. Uh, do you want to do play Tika or do you guys want to talk about China? Let's go China. All right, let's do that. Let's do, let's get into that. So uh, China's decision to ease some quarantine requirements for international arrivals is creating hopes 
for stronger growth and demand coming back into commodities. One thing that I did see, though, today mentioned is a Disney headline. So let's go ahead. Let's take a look here at Disney um, and see what we've got here. So Shanghai Disney Resort announced today that Shanghai Disneyland will reopen June 30th, 2022. Tickets for Shanghai Disneyland are available for purchase beginning June 29th. Um, so at least uh, at least the parks are starting to reopen there. At least well, they have zero time. COVID there now, Joel. Did you hear that? Zero cases. Not even one case. Zero oh, cases. Man. Well, that's pretty impressive. They just eradicated. We got to take, you know, we got to take what they're doing over there. Zero cases is impressive. Oh, yeah. People man. just love that, Dennis. Yeah. Total lockdown. Zero oh, cases. That will go over so well. Uh, <laughs> We but we talked about the FXI chart and that thing in the K Web. I mean, it China turned a you know a couple weeks ago as far as you know. I think it started with Didi. I think that's what you mentioned, Mitch, and uh, yeah, the regulatory. I mean, you know, you got two monthly green candles uh, going in the FXI. Baba trying to get back over yeah. one twenty. I mean, we are we're at one twenty right on the nose here. Let's see what happens at uh, what your four month high. That comes in. Let's see what happens at one twenty four eleven. That's the big number there for uh, for Baba. Then I'll have to create a new retracement level. So there we go. That's a look. The at China's, Baba. Chinese stocks had their bear market back in March. The Kathy stocks had their bear market back in May. The value mm-hmm. stocks just entered their bear market and they just started to have it. So it's been like a rolling bear markets here. So you're past the bear market. Can it get ugly again? It can. The one risk with china's obviously regulatory issues the other risk is a geopolitical risk i mean if they started to do something happen with taiwan you know we went and it's still out there i mean then you know i think you've got to be exiting but right now right now at this moment in time the sentiment towards china names have turned the sentiment towards even investing over there has turned i mean there's not these bubblicious valuations that there was over in our markets I mean, they've been, you know, EEM, we've said this before, hasn't moved anywhere for a decade. So is there an eventual catch-up trade where the emerging markets start to lead? I think it's possible. But again, it's a hard thing to call because we've been saying that, people have been saying that for years, and it just never seems to happen. Every time they get a lift, they get, you know, hit by their own regulators or something else happens. But as of right now, sentiment towards China names have turned, and the stocks, I think, are buys on dips. All right, Definitely, I'm going to let yeah. you guys finish up here. We did have a little bit of a decline, caught a bid right at mid-session here, uh, up 17 and a quarter handles. <clears throat> Can we make a new close, high close for the move? Uh, that's a very good chance of doing that. That's at 39, 16 and a quarter. Uh, Triple D, I'll check in with you after the open. Everyone have a great day. All right, we'll definitely see. We'll be uh, eyes out for June consumer confidence and April home prices. We'll see what's going on out there. But like always, thank you, Dennis, for coming on in. Uh, And we didn't get to mention it, but I just want to at least touch it really quickly. Uh, Boots owner Walgreens abandoned that $5 sale of Britain's biggest chemists. Uh, Definitely you're seeing uh, Walgreens kind of get hit on that. Um, And just keep an eye out, guys. There's always headlines that can change stocks. I think it's important to always know what's happening. And if you don't see it, definitely go out and look at that one because uh, it was a clear example of when sometimes things hit the tape and you just can't find them. Look around. You'll be able to go ahead and get that headline. Um, That's going to do it for us today. Anything else, Dennis, going into the market? 
Um, I think I can't chase here. And, you know, some people saying, well, you were bullish yesterday. Well, you're bullish. I've been bullish for what, Mitch? About a week, about yeah. six, seven days. I've yeah, been, you know, I said it literally back, about six or seven days. Uh, right about, you know, I, I, I kind of said, you know, I felt like, you know, we got oversold. It kind of started, you know, we bounced and I didn't definitely didn't get the bottom. But, you know, around 370 spy is when I kind of started to like, yeah. Well, I feel like it's a buy the dip opportunity. Remember, we had Mark Chaikin on earlier in the week, and you know, I've mm-hmm. been I've been on the buy the dip camp for about a week here. I'm a trader though, so we've had a pretty good rep. So it, you can't just continue to like okay and say 390. We're going to 420. No, we're going to run into sellers here soon. So yeah. I think it's time. Like if you've been you know on the bull train here for about a week, you know, I think it's time to start bucking profits. So, again, I'm going to swing it. I would be a buyer of dips on certain names. I've said multiple of those, of those names in the show. I'd buy Chinese stocks on a dip. I'd buy some of the Kathy names on a dip, but not on a 1% dip. We need, like, a pullback here. Like, for ARKK, it's run pretty good, 18%. Pulled back 41, 42, I'd probably reload and buy some of those names again. So, again, just thinking about the waves. Well, we've waved up. This has come up pretty nice. It's been a pretty good week. So, when you're coming up to the tops, the peaks of those waves, I think it's time to start bucking profits. So I'm taking a little bit of the profits, um, just lightening up a bit. Long-term portfolio is still sitting there. I haven't done much with it. And the long-term account, I'm sitting there with 40% cash, not all in. Um, would I allocate a little bit more on pullbacks? I think so. Good names, reasonable valuations. But I mean, I think you've got to just be, it's a trader's market. 2022 is not the market where we just buy and we make money if we hold for six months. It's more of a trader's environment. You've got to be taking advantage of those waves. And if you're not, I think you're going to have a tough year. Yeah, definitely. The volatility will chop you up around there. Uh, Let's go. Let's get on into it. We'll talk about what we're going to get into. Like always, Dennis, have a great trading day. And let's continue on here. Uh, I want to do touch here. Let's get into the schedule of today. This is one thing that I want to do more often. I told you guys I would do it. So let's go back into today's schedule. If you guys take a look up next, we'll be having live options trading and day trading with Benzinga, of course, Lloyd Ryan, Zunaid uh, there. And then we'll get into, of course, Benzinga Live with AB. It's back, baby. AB's back. And so definitely stay tuned for that. Then we'll get into stock market movers with Money Mitch. Of course, don't miss out on that. I got some great guests for you today. Um, Like always, two expert opinions on there, not just one interview. I tried my best to get you guys a lot of information in one hour. And then, of course, our new show. Check that out, guys. How to prepare for your reg A+. Check this out. That's going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern today. Going into with Joel Alconin, of course, at the close. 3.30. 3.30. Don't miss out, guys. We got a lot for you today right here on Benzinga. You guys don't got to go anywhere. Stick around. There's going to be a lot going on. And you do see breaks there? No, nah, man. You stick around. We got you all day. Let's go ahead. Let's get on into it with live trading. I'll see you guys like always. And like always, if you guys want to go ahead and check out your free two-week trial of Benzinga Pro, you guys can go ahead and do so. You can also get a 25% discount there. Just look at the description below and get that discount. We'll see you next time right here. Up next, you guys got live trading coming on next. And let's keep it going right here on the number one morning show, Pre-Market Prep. I'll see you guys tomorrow.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.